2: Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so
3: much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joining us in a matter of moments, Congressman uh, Jim Jordan, fresh off that electrifying uh, hearing yesterday with the Attorney General, and thank goodness he's not Supreme Court Justice, Merrick Garland. And the bottom of the hour, Senator Dan Sullivan is going to be here live in studio, which is always great. Another reason to get Fox Nation. We're streaming live on it. So, uh, And, of course, the President of the United States had his first meet uh, at least interview with anybody at all it's been weeks and he sat down or stood up with Anderson Cooper in a town hall yesterday it was let's get to the big three now
2: with the stories you need to know it's Brian's big three
4: number three
5: Dr. Fauci knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH? Never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan.
6: Senator Paul, I have never lied before
3: the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. You should, because you did lie. Will someone please fire this fraud? Senator Rand Paul, take a bow as his statements of the gain-of-function research and the role that Fauci's division played has now surfaced. The ducking days are over.
7: Number two
0: so, do you think there's a I mean do you see a, do you have a timeline for gas prices of when you think they may start coming down?
3: My guess is
8: you'll start to see gas prices come down in the next year in 2022. I don't see anything that's going to happen in the meantime that's going to re- significantly reduce gas prices.
3: Yeah, d- don't worry too much about it. get some rest. President Biden's town hall. It was odd, it was meandering, but newsworthy from the spending palooza to the filibuster to his excuse of why he's not going to the border to his callous view of the mandates and the mass firings. We'll examine.
7: Number one.
4: I can't imagine any circumstance in which the Patriot Act would be used in the circumstances uh, of parents complaining about their children, nor can I imagine a circumstance where they would be labeled as domestic terrorism.
3: Really? Really? That's what everybody says until you actually do it. We've learned that with this administration. Merrick Garland, evasive or clueless? You may make the call. That's how I describe the AG as he tried to explain the FBI targeting parents and more why this issue this has gotten so important in America today. Let's bring in Congressman Jim Jordan, author of the upcoming book, Do What You Say You Would Do. Uh, it's coming out shortly. Uh, the subtitle, Fighting for Freedom in the Swamp. Congressman, welcome. And we'll get to your book in a second. As ranking member sure. of the Judiciary <laughs> Committee, you came out firing yesterday. What's, what stood out about Merrick Garland? Besides, for me, I don't think he was really prepared. For, uh, what about yeah. from your perspective?
9: Yeah, well, I think I think two things. Remember the memo he sent just five days after a political organization asked the president of the United States to involve the FBI in local school board matters. Five days later, he does exactly what that political organization asked for. What a turnout. What a rapid turnaround um, that, that he did. In that memo, two things. Set up a direct line of communication for threat reporting, i.e. a snitch line on parents is what the now the, the federal – the FBI is engaging in with local, local uh, law enforcement. And then I think the key takeaway was when we asked him, uh, what was your basis for citing in your memo the, quote, uptick in violence happening at school board meetings What was what, uh, to school personnel? What was, what was the data? What was the information? What was the evidence you reviewed? His only evidence was the school board letter sent five days earlier. So a political organization gets to make a claim to the president and the FBI takes the action five days later? And, and, and the end result is you're going to spy and have a snitch line on parents and who knows what else they're going to do. So that, to me, was the key takeaway. And that just, again, shows how uh, I think your, your opening statement was you were glad that Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court. So am I. Uh, but it shows how political this Justice Department is.
3: So so there's I know what you're you're just you're laying out the facts, but I'm going to ask you your opinion. Do you believe one letter to the Justice Department would actually spur the FBI to act, especially when it contained no official stats that proved an urgency, like al-Qaeda, like ISIS, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, like uh, a Nazi invasion? I mean, why would you act so quick on one letter, get the federal law enforcement involved in a school a series of school board meetings? Yep. So what do you Policy. really think happened? What do you really think is going Here.
9: on? pure politics. I think what really happened is the school board association, their political operatives got together with folks at the White House and they worked on drafting the letter in the first place. And then they said, now you send this letter and then the uh, the Justice Department can take action. I think that's how it played out because that's the pattern. Remember, a few months ago, uh, Joe Biden criticized the Georgia election law. And and shortly after that, what happened? Justice Department filed suit against the state of Georgia. Then we had more recently, uh, uh, President Biden speaks out against the Texas pro-life law. And eight days after that, the Justice Department files suit against Texas. This is the pattern, and this is how political this Justice Department has become. Remember last week, someone asked Joe Biden, hey, should, should the Justice Department go after <laughs> people who question the subpoenas sent by this partisan, completely partisan January 6th committee? And what did Joe Biden said? Yes, they should. So uh, it's probably just a matter of time before Merrick Garland goes after Steve Bannon, which the, the, the House, the Democrats held in contempt yesterday. So that's the political nature of this, And but when you target parents, when you start going after moms and dads about their kids and telling them, in essence, the government's smarter than you about this crazy curriculum that's being taught in, in schools – I think parents are going to push back hard in a big way.
3: But it was a brushback pitch. It was to get the Mr. and Mrs. Johnson in Ohio and in West Texas to not show up because, Mom, Dad, don't embarrass me. I'm going to feel it in school. And then you got a lawyer up because suddenly the FBI is knocking on your door wondering why you raised your voice. And one of the board members said they felt physically threatened when that obviously wasn't your intent. And I don't care if you're innocent. Your life is now turned upside down. Here's a little of the sparring, in case you missed it yesterday, for our audience.
9: Is there some study, some effort, some investigation someone did that said there's been a disturbing uptick, or you just take the words of the National School Board Association? When
4: well, The National School Board Association, which represents thousands of school boards and school board members, says that there are these kind of threats.
9: Is there any connection, board? Mr. Attorney General, with the school board letter and then five days later your memo to, uh, uh, regarding school board issues? Obviously, the letter, which uh,
4: was public and asked for assistance from the Justice Department, was brought to our attention, and it's a relevant factor.
3: So, I mean, he had no answers, and, and did he not say to himself, "Listen, you know, uh, let's say he everything you assume is true. That's your answer. That's your answer. We only had a memo that spurred the FBI to act." Now, politically, uh, Congressman Jordan, you know what's happened. This is directly related to the success. Uh, Yunkin is having in Virginia. Do you know that this education thing is giving him a legitimate chance of winning that governor's seat?
9: Yep. no, I, I, I agree. And I, let's hope he wins. Uh, I think the parents of this great country are going to push back. I, I really do. Even though you're exactly right. This was designed, this was done for political reasons. It was, as you said, a brushback pitch designed to chill the speech, to chill First Amendment activity on the part of parents. And a part of people who care about what what curriculum is taught to their kids in their school district, even though that's what was designed. I think this is the last straw. I think Americans have had it. And I even said this in the hearing. I said, Mr. Attorney General, I think your memo is the catalyst for a great awakening that's beginning to happen in this country where people say no. We're tired of this fear we have of the government. We're tired of you taking away our freedoms. We've had to live with it for a year and a half where every single liberty we enjoy under the First Amendment was targeted and, and suppressed and attacked by the government. We're tired of that. I think this is going to be the catalyst for a real pushback. Um, and I think, again, we're starting to see it all across the country.
3: Man, i got so much to talk to you about, but I want to bring you to another portion of the hearing. Congressman Mike Johnson, extremely talented Republican out of Louisiana, on yep. on the, the conflict of interest between his family members and critical race theory. Cut three.
10: An employee of the
4: executive branch is discouraged from encouraging, con, encur, engaging in conduct that's likely to affect the financial interest of someone close to them. Your, your son-in-law... Your daughter uh clearly meets that definition. Did you seek guidance as the federal regulation requires? This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand there that, but no did did you see, excuse I'm me? Responding. Did you seek ethics counsel that relates to the financial interest of your family? Yes or no? This memorandum does not relate to the financial interests of anyone. It's a th- it's against I take that as a no. I take that as a no.
3: And just to I should have framed that up better. Uh, the you know what he's with these parents are upset against is critical race theory, and yep, guess yep. who's selling cu- curriculum on critical race theory? His son-in-law. So yeah, he can't yeah. sell it if nobody wants it and will buy it. So what is he? Yeah. Is he playing dumb, or is you see playing? Is he just trying to not keep himself out of legal jeopardy?
9: Well, no. Here's the key takeaway: he didn't he didn't consult the ethics council as you're required to do if something that something activity you engage in is gonna benefit someone in your family. He did not consult Ethics Council and he did not consult any evidence but the school board. That's the takeaway from yesterday's hearing. And all and it's and it's driven by this concern Americans have with critical race theory, which is this racist hate America curriculum that they don't want their children taught. And frankly no one should want their kids taught this stuff. So that's the takeaway here. He didn't consult Ethics Council as he should have because his son in law Panorama is the company benefits hugely from this stuff being taught in school districts around the country. Didn't consult ethics counsel, didn't consult any evidence, but what was presented to him by the partisan left-wing political organization, the National School Boards Association, that is the activity going on But the top law enforcement officer, by the top law enforcement officer in our country, that's what concerns people so much.
3: I want you to hear what Joe Biden said at his town hall yesterday when it comes to his spending bill that's going to be between two and three point five trillion dollars of spending that we don't have. We're already $28 trillion in debt. Cut 13.
8: This, this is a big deal. We both have, we have two plans. One is the infrastructure plans, roads, highways, bridges, buses, trains, etc. And the other one is what I call the care economy. Has a lot of money in there for an environmental uh, remediation. So there's a lot of pieces in there. There's a lot that people don't understand. And by the way, all of it's paid for. Every single penny is not
3: going to raise one single cent or touch the debt. Yet, you know, that's not true. And Kirsten Sinema says, I will not go for any raise, uh, raise in taxes, period. And she's yeah. not going to vote Goblet. for it without it. So it's not going to get close yeah. to paid for.
9: Yeah, no, come on. No one no one in this country buys the things that this administration tells us. It's, it's, uh, this is A $5 trillion spending package is not going to cost anything. Uh, myorcas tells us, oh, the border is secure, even though month after month after month we've had record number of illegal crossings. So no one buys what they're selling. No one buys what they're saying. Um, let's hope Kristen Senema stays strong. I, I, I think she's going to. I mean, she, she God bless her. Uh, let's hope that this package does not pass because it's bad for the country. And I always say this. Think of the Democrats' economic plan. Their their basic economic plan is lock down the economy, spend like crazy, pay people not to work, and then for everyone who has been working, they're going to raise your taxes. Such a deal for the taxpayer. So the American people are smart. They have common sense. They know this thing is baloney. Let's hope the Democrats can't get it passed.
3: And by the way, I think Kirsten Sinema needs security. I'm dead serious. Uh, What has happened already, anybody in that party, let alone Senator Kelly, who partners as a Democrat with her in Arizona— can someone yep. possibly watch her back? I know I've never met her, but this is yep. getting out of control now. For you, yep. this is your favorite line: "Is do what you said you would do." It's a perfect title for your <laughs> book, "Fighting for Freedom in the Swamp." What was your yep. approach?
9: Well, no, I think I think your uh, your listeners and viewers are, are going to uh, I think they're going to like the read. I really do. We try to take them behind the scenes and what happens in Congress, and it's really the, the the story of the Freedom Caucus in many ways. But also these key investigations, you know, I've been I've had the privilege of being involved in the IRS investigation, the Benghazi is on the Benghazi Select Committee. We talk a lot about that. And of course, a lot about the crazy impeachment that the Democrats put the country through back in 2019. Um, And then finally, a lot of stories, a lot of stories about President Trump and our interactions with with the best president we have had in this country who did more of what he said he would do um, than anyone that I can recall in modern day politics. So um, so I, I think I think they'll have a great time reading. We tell some stories like. When, uh, when my colleague stormed the bunker and joined us down there for the depositions and how Adam Schiff reacted. So uh, I really think they'll enjoy the read. Well, when does it come out? Comes out, uh, you can get it at pre-order on Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble comes out in four weeks from tomorrow, I think. Four weeks from tomorrow, the 23rd of November.
3: Wow, that sounds great. And Congressman, uh, lastly, the Axios has a story today that Donald Trump is by far the most popular Republican and almost no one yeah. is uh, going to run against him except Mike Pence. Mike Pence has told friends that he will, it will he'll run regardless of whether President Trump runs or not. Can you see that? Can you see Vice President Pence running against President Trump?
9: I cannot, and 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 frankly, no one can be President Trump. And like I said, no one has done more of what they said they would do when they got in office than this president. That's why I so appreciate him. And you, when you're around him, you've been around him, Brian, like I have. I tell everyone I speak to, I wish every single American could spend time with him because when you do, you cannot help but like him. There is an energy about this guy, a love for this country, a love for our veterans and law enforcement and hardworking Americans who make this country special. And uh, if he runs, he's going to win. No one's going to beat him in the primary and no one's going to beat him in the general.
3: Yeah, there's a story, too, that you do not need Facebook or Twitter uh, to win. And I'm very curious to (laughs) see if that happens because that'll just – it'll bring a reality check to social media because right now, as you know, he's not there and he's got his own – uh, his own his own social media uh, thing rolling out as of yesterday. Congressman yeah, Jordan. Yeah, uh, listen, I'm looking forward to your book. Uh, do What You Said You Would Do, Fighting for Freedom in the Swamp. Congressman Jim Jordan, thanks so much.
9: Thanks, Brian. Take care.
3: Hey, listen, we're going to open up the phones next, one I was at the Al Smith dinner last night uh, with Condoleezza Rice as the keynote speaker. I had a, t- a chance to talk to some really, uh, really important people, and you're going to be surprised about one interaction I had with somebody that you would think it wouldn't be that positive, but it was. Uh, That and so much more. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it
11: first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Precise, personal, powerful is America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
2: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. So last night I was at the Al Smith dinner, and some of the people there, I mean, of course, Ray Kelly, the greatest commissioner, uh, New York City police commissioner ever. Uh, He married de Blasio. I had no interest in talking to him. Governor Pataki was there in in great spirits. But Letitia James, the attorney general, Uh, who took out, uh, by doing a thorough investigation, Governor Cuomo, and might be running herself, had a great conversation with her, but by far the person I was most in awe of, outside Cardinal Dolan, who's just one of the greatest individuals. I don't care if you're Catholic or not. Greatest individuals you'll ever meet. The Al Smith then is this legendary governor uh, I think he didn't go past a sixth grade education, Bush is a wonderful politician, did some great things for the state. And they had this dinner to fundraise, he's a Catholic, uh, for the Catholic Church. So they made $7 million, which is a new record. It's famous for having the presidential candidate show up right before the election. Let's look at the date. So by 2020, by in two years, it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. But it was really big last night. A man that worked with Condoleezza Rice, the featured speaker. Now she's running the Hoover Institute, a professor at Stanford. Uh, And the former secretary of state for its female African-American female secretary of state uh, is my next guest. He is uh, Senator Dan Sullivan of Alaska. He's on the Armed Services, Commerce, Science, Transportation Committee and the Veterans Affairs Committee. But most importantly, you worked under uh, Secretary of State Rice, right?
12: Oh, I did. And she's uh, amazing. Still very close with her. In what way?
3: What is it like working with her day to day?
12: Well, you know, I worked at the National Security Council staff uh, when she was a national security advisor in the White House two and a half years, and I got recalled by the Marines for a year and a half, so I had to...
13: Make a say uh, yeah.
12: see you later. Uh, Marines are calling, and then I came back. And when she was Secretary of State, I was one of her assistant secretaries of state. Here's what I always say about Condoleezza Rice. You know how, and you've seen it, Brian. By the way, great to be on the show. Oh yeah, it's great, great to have to you, Senator. Yeah, it's great in to New be York. Here. Yeah, it's we'll great. Talk, We got the whole half yeah, hour. We got, got like, a lot to talk about. A lot, including but, um, energy. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Um, but you know how it is. Sometimes you meet people who are famous, and you see this public persona, and then in private they're very different, and maybe not so nice or not such a good person in private. She is even more of a class act than she is in public, which is kind of hard to kind of hard to beat. So she is uh, incredible. Her service to America continues as the head of Hoover. But, you know, I had the honor of serving under her. She was my boss for over five years and still very close with her. She's been a mentor of mine for years. And Senator,
3: I'm going to ask you this question when we get back, because this is the buzz uh, will she ever run for president? And God, I if, would love that. Well, I, well, I want to know what you think, though. If I would happen. love that. All right, back in a moment with with, uh, with Senator Dan Sullivan. Uh, he's going to be with us for the whole half hour. Don't move.
11: New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My
5: name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single handedly save the world.
11: You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: I got this invitation from Cardinal Dolan to give the keynote address at the Al Smith dinner. I was, of course, really honored. And then I asked myself, well, why me? Uh, actually, to be honest, I thought, uh, what am I going to wear? I'm a Californian Republican, uh, not a New York Congresswoman. So tax the rich didn't quite cut it. I haven't seen this many wine glasses since Governor Newsom dined at the French Laundry. Well, I thought, you know, maybe it's that presidential thing. I, I am asked from time to time. and. You had Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in 2016, so why not a play this time on a Republican woman and a Democratic man? And so I thought to myself, now, who would you choose as my partner? Mike Bloomberg, of course. <laughs> no, no, That if I'm going to hang out with a billionaire, I'd like to hang out with one who's going to take me into space. <laughs> I've decided that it was a play on a Republican golfer and a former New York official who was once a sure thing. Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> no, no, no. There's not enough social distancing in the world to do that one.
3: Uh, so that was Lisa Rice last night as the keynote speaker at the Al Smith Dinner City. Great. Uh, it was at the Javits Center in New York. And uh, with me right now is Senator Dan Sullivan, a Republican out of Alaska, still uh, in, in the Marine Reserves, right? Yes, sir. And yes, what's sir, your man. rank, sir? Colonel. Colonel. Full colonel. Full so so you're one of the few. I mean, I don't know of another sitting senator in my lifetime that really was serving in the military. At well, the there time. there
12: have been some, but there's none now. So, right. you know, uh, Lindsey Graham was serving. Uh, oh, yeah, while reserves, still active, yeah. And Joni Ernst was in, uh, in the Iowa National Guard. They've retired. So, yeah, I'm, I put on the uniform, you know, about 23 days a year. And it's good. It really helps my day job, as I tell the Marines. But you know, getting out there and being with the grunts, right? I'm I'm an infantry recon officer, so I'm with I'm with my fellow grunts. So you ran the first time you ran for office, you won. You won twice. Yes, sir. I just won. I just won my reelect last year at this time. And it's they were a, saying that uh, Alaska's Battle in Royale. play. Sullivan's in trouble, but no, you weren't. I crushed this guy. Who was you know we got outspent like every other Republican senator, massively outspent. You know Schumer. The Democrats have a, a way to. They send money to races. It's unbelievable. I think at the end of the day, all in, we were outspent four to one. But I ended up crushing my uh, opponent by thirteen points, which in Alaska is a uh, drubbing. And so, just to- for all your listeners who help, thank you because you know they uh, they come in hard on on the money and negative ads. But Alaskans, they want they want. Um, Progress, and that's what we were achieving with President Trump on energy and so many other issues, and now Biden is... Uh, Shutting it down. Completely. Uh, what I call the anti-Alaska agenda. It's the national Democrats. Whenever they get into power, the first state they look to, to to crush and shut down is, unfortunately, the great state of Alaska.
3: And Anwar, in particular, which the president opened up and got into the tax We got it
12: done, but, I mean, the president... But now they're closing it again, right? Well, I mean, they can't legally, right? That it's the, the law says shall, shall hold two lease sales. We've already gotten one done under the Trump administration. So, you know, the fact that the Biden administration isn't saying, hey, we're going to just shut it down, you can't do that, right? Legally, shall is a really important word in the law, and that's what the law is today. But, you know, we got so much done under the Trump administration on resource development, on infrastructure um, in our great state, and the Dems are trying to literally— Shut it all down.
3: Just to close off what I teased, because I'll forget. Yeah. Uh, kind of Lisa Rice yeah. running for office. It was a people last night. I was there uh, and there's all these politicians and friends of politicians and high ranking people uh, from Fox News at their own table. Uh, but they were like, I think she's running. She sounds like she's running. She did the view. She could have done anything, but she's doing the view trying to win people over. What do you think?
12: Well, look, I would love it if she would run. Right. I would love it. I think it would be great for the country. I think it would be great for the Republican Party. Um, You know, I kind of have my doubts, but I hope I'm wrong. But you can't eliminate it. No, I mean, you can never eliminate it. But what I've always said to her is I certainly hope your public service – I mean, she's so young. She's so smart. She's a unifying force, you know, not just in the Republican Party, but for America, when you look at her background, when you see what she cares about, not just – not just um, foreign policy, national security. She's an expert on education. She's come out completely against critical race theory and and the craziness that's going on right now. So I think she's got so much more to do for our great nation. And you know whether it's elected or appointed. Um, We still want Condoleezza Rice in the game.
3: All right, let's go back. Uh, Okay, you can't rule it out, so that's good, and you know her very well. So President Biden finally did a town hall where Anderson Cooper asked and answered his own questions. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he's just meandering around the stage. Everyone's got a different style. I like to walk, but I would like to look at the person who's actually asked me the question. He's literally wandering around the stage as if he's listening to voices in his head. But here is President Biden talking about energy. Cut 16.
8: Last prices relate to foreign policy initiative that is about something that goes beyond the cost of gas. And we're about 330 gallon most places that now when it's up from was down in the single digits, I mean, single a dollar plus. And, uh, and that's because of the supply being withheld by OPEC. And so there's a lot of negotiation that is, there. there there's a lot of Middle Eastern folks want to talk to me.
12: Mm-hmm.
8: I'm not sure I'm going to talk to them, but the point is, it's about... Gas production. There's things we can do in the meantime,
3: though. Okay. He was all—tell me the reality. Ludicrous.
12: Ludicrous. So, look, what he said last night, there's going to be no relief at the pump in the short term. But here's the thing, Brian. There's going to be no relief at the pump in terms of prices in the long term. Because from day one, day one, this administration is focused overtly on killing American energy— and killing American energy jobs. And they're doing it in a number of ways. Number one, restricting production. They are constantly coming up to my great state, an energy superpower, saying, how can we look at restricting production of American energy So in Middle Eastern, So the Middle Eastern folks can call us? Ridiculous. The, the notion that—and by the way, we're the ones begging OPEC right now, we, the Biden administration— begging OPEC to produce more. But you know what? They come to Wall Street. They come to the uh, financial leadership in terms of executives. Tell them, John Kerry tells the American banks, don't invest, don't support investment in American energy. And as you know, they're also killing energy infrastructure, pipelines, Keystone and so what this is doing, it's hurting American families, it's hurting American workers, and it's empowering our adversaries.
3: So I was lucky enough to go to George P. Bush, land, uh, land supervisor uh, with Texas. So I went to the oil fields out there. Yeah. And what they said is what you just said that no one's paying attention to. They are pushing, pressuring Wall Street not to put these oil and gas companies in the portfolios Absolutely. of their customers. Absolutely. So, but yet it's profit-oriented. How dare you? How dare you tell these mobiles of the oil? You're you're saying, I don't want them in it. Uh, So you're starving these energy companies in the name of the planet. They're trying to save the
12: planet. Why is it ridiculous? So it's ridiculous first because the United States has been the leader in reducing global greenhouse gas emissions. Why? Not because of some regulations from the EPA. Because the revolution in natural gas, which is what um, has come from the private sector but there's in a worldwide American shortage. capitalism. There's
3: a worldwide shortage now. Why
12: is that? And I thought so there was a glut. Part of the reason there's a worldwide shortage, we, under the Trump administration, working with the Republican Congress, became the world's energy superpower. Again, we are the first time energy independent in over sec- seven decades. These and guys just kind of
3: tell you one thing: Senator Obama became President Obama and benefited from the fracking revolution. Totally right? benefited, and he didn't stop it. He didn't. And they said, "Well, look at how it's improved under me." Well, it happened because of free enterprise, and a lot of people took a lot of major risks on this fracking technology, so it grew there. And then Trump said, I, "I'm I'm going to make this boom."
12: Yeah, and and he did it right, and and and. Um And you're right, Obama didn't stop it. Biden has come in with such far-left radical approaches to energy, but his number one energy policy, number one, is to shut down American energy, unilaterally disarm. And that's why we are seeing these supply guts. Here's one thing. I met with the Secretary of Energy a couple months ago, and and this is right after the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, Reached out to OPEC. Think about that. Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia saying, please produce more oil. I said, Madam Secretary, I got a better policy idea.
3: Is this off the record or you just picked up the phone?
12: No, I met with her. Oh, you met with her. I wrote okay. her a letter and I said, I have a better policy idea. As opposed to begging OPEC for more oil, why don't you get your jackboot off the throat of American energy producers like the great ones in my state and let us produce. And what would she say? Literally, she sidestepped it. No kidding. I mean, it is the most um, ill-conceived policy when you think at its base, it is hurting American families, no doubt about it, hurting American workers. You know, thousands of pipeline and oil and gas workers have been laid off because of Biden, and it's empowering our adversaries. We're importing two times the amount of Russian oil, that we imported a year ago and Biden is approving Nord Stream 2 a Russian pipeline into Europe that but bypasses sh- Ukraine yep but he's shutting down Keystone which would get us more supplies of oil from Canada makes no sense
3: right it's it just kills a president when gas prices go up i don't care how popular they are. it just kills it because everyone feels it but Brian, these the are working. self
12: these are self-inflicted
3: right? Wounds. That came up last night. Listen to this. Cut 17.
12: Do you think
0: there's a, I mean, do you see, do you have a timeline for gas prices of when you think they may start coming down?
8: My guess is you'll start to see gas prices come down as we get by and going into the winter, I mean, excuse me, into next year in 2022. I don't see anything that's going to happen in the meantime that's going to significantly reduce gas prices.
3: Okay, Thanks for your candor. It's your fault. The follow-up is, do you feel responsible, Mr. President, because you did shut down a series of pipelines? You did stop federal land drilling. You have discouraged it. And is it true that, according to Reuters, you called uh, Texas, these companies in Texas, and said— Guys, what can you do about these prices? So it shows there is already some remorse to the, the ramifications of their policies. They're
12: desperate, but they are driven so much by the far left. If you look at their $3.5 trillion socialist spending wish list, it has all kinds of continued anti-energy policies in that. That's in this the the bill. is the reconciliation so, bill. Yeah, the you know socialist reckless spending bill. It's got a bunch of of the Green New Deal proposals in it. So the idea that they're going to try and actually reverse course, to me, is a joke. And it's also a joke that finally Joe Biden, who wouldn't take a meeting with an energy executive, is now trying to fix this by blaming them. The only people, only people that are to blame right now on this spike in energy prices for America is this administration. And you know, Brian, winter's coming And the Biden administration's own energy information agency is predicting up to a 50% increase in home heating oil. Look at what's happening in Europe right now. That's coming our way. That's going to be a disaster.
3: Uh, There's already been a 42% increase since Trump left office in gas prices, and it's only going up. And you just heard a guy, don't even say there's hope. There's not hope around the corner. When we come back, Senator Dan Sullivan not only talks about – we just talked about energy. I want to talk about this hypersonic uh, program that China has displayed that they have uh, and what you take because obviously Russia has the same uh, program. They were the first time – I personally ever heard of it. The hypersonic program was when Russia uh, did their test run, and that really affects you yep. over in Alaska, especially. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade show with the Center for Alaska Center Dan Solomon.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If, in fact, the Chinese have developed
5: a hypersonic missile that can deliver a nuclear weapon, IT'S A MILITARY GAME-CHANGER WHEN IT COMES TO uh, NUCLEAR FORCES. WE'VE ALLOWED THE CHINESE TO LEAPFROG US AND WE'RE we're GOING TO HAVE TO DO ONE OF TWO THINGS, GET THEM TO STAND DOWN AND I DON'T KNOW HOW JOE BIDEN CONVINCES ANYBODY TO STAND DOWN AND IF THEY DON'T STAND DOWN WE'RE GOING TO HAVE TO DEVELOP A CAPABILITY TO NEUTRALIZE THIS AND WHAT UP CHINA. SO WHEN YOU HAVE THE JOE BIDEN GREATEST HIT LIST, BROKEN BORDER, RISE OF TERRORISM, RAMPANT INFLATION, You can now put on the list uh, nuclear arms race with China, which we're losing.
3: Greatest hit list. That's great. Uh, The hypersonic missile program goes around the Earth and landed within, uh, within yards of where it was supposed to land. It was pretty impressive and pretty shocking to our intelligence apparatus. Is that indeed true? Senator Dan Sullivan is with us right now. He's on the Armed Services Committee and would know. Senator, were you surprised to hear about these two hypersonic missile tests, and why should anyone at home care?
12: Well, look, we've been monitoring how the Russians and the Chinese are focused on hypersonics. And in some ways, and it's public, I'm not revealing anything, you know, they're in some ways ahead of what we are doing. We're working on this as well. But the big issue, why people care, Brian, is um, there's no way to defend against this. Right now we have no way to defend against this. This is not, you know, all, almost all America's missile defenses. One of the great reasons why Alaska is so important to the country are based in Alaska. The ground-based missile interceptors, the radar, but those are ballistic missiles that go up and come down in a um, in a loop that goes up and comes down. You can track it. These are much more difficult. They
3: actually go around the Earth in space. Well,
12: and they're going in a kind of more of a flat trajectory. So it's it is. Something that we've been tracking, but no, I was surprised by that. And I, I I will tell you one thing, it should be a wake up call for our country. What I've been trying to do since I got to the Senate and it's, and it was helped by president Trump's national security strategy and national defense strategy, which said, Hey, we need to focus on China as the pacing number one threat. I totally agree with that before president Trump's national security strategy. Nobody was really talking about China. When I got to the Senate, I, I would give speeches about this is the biggest challenge for the 21st century, the rise of China, the communist party and their power. And if this is a wake up call, then that's one thing that's positive, but we need to be doing a heck of a lot more. And what we don't need to be doing right now, which is what the Biden administration is doing is cutting defense spending. They are, they are their budget adjusted for inflation is a 4 it's about a 4% cut. I've been all over this issue in the Armed Services Committee when we marked up the Defense Authorization Act recently. Jim Inhofe and I had a, an amendment to increase defense spending by close to 30 billion that passed almost unanimously. So it was a rejection of Biden, a rejection of Bernie Sanders, a, reject, a rejection of Schumer, all of whom want to cut defense spending when the Democrats get in power. Think about Obama second term cut defense spending by 25%. That was one of the main reasons I ran for the Senate in the first place. Bernie Sanders had an amendment to the defense bill last year. I'm not kidding. It was called the, quote, defund the Pentagon amendment. He's such a clown. And Schumer co-sponsored was a 14% across-the-board cut. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to do. we got to fight it. you got 30 seconds. You have this new climate plan,
3: Uh, your energy plan. You're working with Senator Braun, Kramer, Kramer,
12: Lummis, Cornyn. A lot of senators are really interested in this. It's an all of the above energy plan for America that will empower American workers, manufacturing, and take advantage of our incredible resources. And it will help protect the environment
3: in a responsible way. Exactly. Uh, Absolutely. You don't. You don't care about. You have to care about the environment in Alaska, especially. Senator Dan Sullivan. Great to see you,
12: Brian. Great to be on the show. Thanks very much. Back in a moment.
11: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Senator Joe Lieberman coming up at the bottom of the hour. He's got a a brand new book out. Uh, He's called The Centrist Solution, How We Made Government Work and How We Can Make It Work Again. And he was. Remember, he was independent. They ran uh, Ned Lamont at him, and they gave the, Ned Lamont the nomination because he was so mad that he was siding with Bush on certain other things after running with Gore, another thing. Uh, he won as an independent. It was very comfortable caucusing with the Democrats but being in the center, and that's how he's living his retirement. So that book is really important now. And Geraldo Rivera, for the first time in my life, I did something cooler last night than he did. And it's the first time in his life that I've ever did something cooler. I went to the Al Smith show and sat Al Smith show. Al Smith dinner That 75 years old, and I had a chance to sit on the dais. It was just fantastic. I only have a few more hours to get my tux back, or else I'm going to be fined. So i got to get this show with, over with quick. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
5: Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress— Do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan?
6: Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract
3: that statement. Really? Uh, You did. Uh, Will someone please fire this fraud? Senator Rand Paul, take a bow. As his statement on the gain-of-function research and the role that Fauci's division played and has now surfaced. The ducking days are over.
6: Number two.
0: Do you think there's a? I mean, do you see? A, do you have a timeline for gas prices of when you think they may start coming down?
8: My guess is you'll start to see gas prices come down in the next year, in 2022. I don't see anything that's going to happen in the meantime that's going to re-
3: significantly reduce gas prices. Fantastic. And why? Do you feel responsible for it? All? The normal follow-up question would be, uh, do you feel as though shutting down the pipeline and discouraging oil and gas drilling on private lands? Uh, is something, uh, along with the truck driving issue, is something that you could have prevented? Biden's town hall, odd, meandering, but newsworthy. From the spending palooza to the filibuster to uh, excuses why he does not go to the border. His callous view on mandates and the mass firings. We'll listen to it and look at it all.
7: Number one.
3: I can't
4: imagine any circumstance in which the Patriot Act would be used in the circumstances uh, of parents complaining about their children, nor can I imagine a circumstance where they would be labeled as domestic terrorism.
3: Right. The FBI being sent after the suburban mom down the street is not trying to intimidate Merrick Garland. Evasive or clueless? You make the call. That's how I describe the AG as he tried to explain the FBI targeting parents and more, and why this issue has gotten so important in America today. Let me uh, bring in uh, Geraldo Rivera right now. Geraldo So what is it like for the first time in my adult life talking to somebody who did something cooler than you last night? I've never done something cooler than you. You
14: looked so—I was going to mention that. I, I know you had some very serious topics today. I know. But you look so sharp. I was so proud of you. They're at the Al Smith dinner, which is a very, very big deal. It is. In New York, I've attended. Uh, Maria Bartiromo looked better than you. Uh, he, she did a great job look, as a host, too. Uh, well, she was a great host, but, but so so are you, so uh, charming and uh, charismatic. And I, I I like the fact that you were in that nice group, and you were the center of attention. You had the best tuxedo.
3: Thank you. And I, got, I do have to get it back by twelve. Uh, I'm serious. I mean, I don't have do tails. You, uh, yeah. I, it's, uh, I went to Abe's Taylor. I walk in and Abe was shocked to see me. I don't think anyone's seen Abe in a long time, uh, but he fitted me and I he gave it to me and he's like, you want to try it? I go, no, I don't, I'm not going to try it a tux. I go, do you, you guys can do this job. And sure enough I did, but I had a speech at Long Island university. So, uh, and I thought it'd be no problem two and a half hours and then two and a half hours back. So I got dressed in the back of a car I had no idea if I was even putting this suit together right because you got straps and uh, and vests <laughs> yeah. that go in the back.
14: But it was nice, that bow tie. You look so cute. You look like you were getting married.
3: Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> But my wife did go, so that was great.
14: But I, I, the traffic in Long Island is so crazy. I, I went to Hannity's house on Friday night, and it took two and a half hours also. it was. Uh, For, did
3: you drive from Ohio?
14: <laughs> no, from Manhattan.
3: Right, because I was available Friday. He did not ask me to go. I mean, you didn't think to text me? Well, I thought I thought I think he lost your number. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess it's just a prime time, guys. Araldo, uh, I, I got to bring it to. There's so many different ways to go here, uh, but a couple of things I think are are happening. I find intriguing, and that is uh, what's happening with inflation and what's happening with gas prices. And at the town hall last night, Joe Biden was asked about this. Cut sixteen.
8: Gas prices relate to a foreign policy initiative that is about something that goes beyond the cost of gas. And we're about 330 a gallon most places that now when it's up from was down in the single digits, I mean, single digit a dollar plus. And, uh, and that's because of the supply being withheld by OPEC. And so there's a lot of negotiation that is, there, there, there's a lot of Middle Eastern folks want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm going to talk to them, but- Okay, the
3: a couple of things. I mean, I don't want to leave the witness- what would you have said after that, and what do you think about his explanation?
14: What, what would I have said?
3: If he said a lot of Middle Eastern people want to talk to us oh. and gas prices <laughs> are going up, what would Geraldo Rivera on that stage with the president of the United States have said at that point?
14: I, I would have said, who, you, who are you talking about and why, Mr. President, have we moved away from self-sufficiency that had been attained in the last, year or two of the trump administration how how is it that we went from having such an abundant supply of oil that we had to Mothball some of our rigs in Texas and other places, and now we have to talk to the Middle East. I don't care who in the Middle East he has to talk to. I think that it's preposterous. I if he's talking about uh, you know uh, a, a detente with Iran, I'm all for it. But it just seems to me that the president right now, uh, you know, a, a guess is uh, I can talk about inflation if you want to. I think that's a very that important too. topic. But uh, the fact that he has not gone to the southern border is something that's so irritating. Now that it, it to me. It's a it's a malignancy that is now infecting his entire presidency. And I like what you said about immigration this morning on Fox and Friends. I, I finally agree with you. On
3: something. Yeah, I mean, I am for immigration. I would right. bulk I would bulk up the consulates around the world and i would say let's, let's let's look at the criteria we can get we can get uh, bipartisanship on the criteria we need people we need workers we need we need yeah. the, the strong and,
14: and, young backs
3: of, and often the most you know, the most patriotic people are the first generation
14: exactly absolutely my dad so, so, a classic example of that, that yeah, uh, so let, a republican
3: and to me but to let 1.5 million people in in a pandemic where you're firing firefighters for not getting a vaccine and they say 20% are sick with some type of illness and most are refusing a free vaccine uh, I, I just can't get my head around this. It is so uh, idiotic. It's well, not a policy. It's vac- a lack of my,
14: my vaccine mandate applies to everybody documented or undocumented. You come across that border. You got to get jabbed or you just turn around and get out of here.
3: Oh, yeah. The one those are the ones we get. Uh, so uh, I want let, to let's hear him talk about the border. Do we have a Eric? Do we have uh, Joe Biden on the border problem?
0: Do we do? Do you have plans to visit the southern border?
8: Uh, I've been there before, and i haven't i mean I know it well. I guess I should go down, but the but, but the whole point of it is I haven't had a whole hell of a lot of time to get down. I've been spending time going around looking at the nine hundred billion dollars worth of damage done by uh by hurricanes and floods and and weather and tra- and traveling around the world but uh I plan on now my wife Jill has been down
3: <laughs> go ahead, GERALDO.
14: Well, I don't know factually if uh President, Vice President, or Senator Biden have been, has ever been to the board. I don't know. There's been Maybe no proof he that he has. If he has, he, he he certainly didn't make a big splash about it. Uh, and it, it that was the, one of the most evasive and disappointing answers I've ever heard him give. I'm I'm a, I want Joe Biden to succeed. He is a nice person. He has a wonderful uh Family backstory uh, with the you know all he suffered and uh, and endured and 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 you know there's a lot about Joe Biden that's very very positive but that that answer was a classic uh, squirmy politician's answer it was evasive okay. it was uh, uh, you know uh, he was trying to distract from the fact that he has not visited and fact, actually he may have just misstated something he may have he i i don't know that he's ever been to the border he has been to the border when was it and what did he do
3: 19 weekends this is he says he has no time 19 weekends in delaware 10 weekends at camp david nine weekends at the white house one weekend overseas that was his great this is his this is the guy who's too busy to go to texas arizona new mexico or california You've been there. You're campaigning for Terry McAuliffe this week. Can't you find a time to go to the Rio Grande Valley? And there's something about Americans appreciate hustle. If you're, if I be on those docks in Los Angeles and Long Beach, I be saying, I need to know the problem. Get me this guy. I need to know what's next. Well, the president went there for four days and nothing's changed. Okay, I'll take that criticism. If I'm, if I'm a leader, if I'm a CEO, if I'm a president, if I'm a governor, yeah, I'm going to find out the answers and I'm going to die trying. I am not going to ignore it, and if you wanted to ignore it, don't take the job.
14: Well, I think that he made a, a, a terrible mistake based on the best intentions. You know, say they—they they say the road to hell is paved with uh, good intentions. Maybe he had good intentions on on the southern border, particularly, but what he did was 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 spin up uh, a chaotic situation. Uh, he gave the green light to people. Uh, to make a very dangerous trick He hasn't dealt with Mexico at all In the way that uh, Trump did uh, The the stopping construction on the wall Was the worst possible signal Plus being a waste of billions of dollars uh, You know, I I, I wish that Araldo,
3: I'm proud of you when you just said For I you to say to stop it. the wall You're proud of me for saying that I, I like first generation immigrants uh, I'm proud of you for saying that Because you never used to You used to be very defensive about that
14: now, I, I know, but I, you know, countries need borders, and I'm, I want a very liberal immigration, as you do now. Uh, I want a very progressive, uh, energetic—you uh, you know, you know why we have inflation now? Because we, have, we don't have workers. And so we have, have all these businesses chasing this limited pool of workers, so wages are, are going up, up, up. That's great. But we need workers. We need people, who, you know, to go to go to the rest, uh, you know, the tr- the highway rest stop, as I did, uh, you know, during the, the height of the covid and 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 look and see all these restaurants that are empty because they can't get people to, to serve to serve because people don't want to work. It is, I you know, we, the Biden is blowing an opportunity to be a solid, good president right? because of his defensiveness and, and some of these spending packages.
3: I want you to hear what else he brought up yesterday, as if it's all in his power. But he said this to Anderson Cooper, reversing himself again on the filibuster, cut 20. But
8: I also think we're going to have to move to the point where we fundamentally alter the filibuster. The idea that, for example, my Republican friends say that we're going to default on the national debt because they're going to filibuster that and we need 10 Republicans to support us is the most bizarre thing ever heard. I think you're going to see... (laughs) If it gets pulled again, I think you're going to see an awful lot of Democrats being ready to say, not me, I'm not doing that again, we're going to end the filibuster. But it's still as difficult to end the filibuster. Beyond that, that's another issue.
3: So now he's suddenly supporting it. By the way, three times he voted not to increase the debt ceiling as senator. But I don't want to, and he would have voted a fourth time, but evidently he didn't. He wasn't able to get back. He had a personal th- situation. So, what do you think about? It? Is he going to push this now?
14: I, I hope not. And you know, the fact is, he Joe Biden. Joe Biden has enormous plans. He has a vast vision. He has proposed with these multi-trillion-dollar uh, programs a, re- a remaking, a reordering of American society, of a scale like FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, did in the in the New Deal. The problem with Joe Biden's situation is FDR had two-thirds of the Senate and two-thirds of the Congress yep. for his party. He controlled the government and, and and he was a saint that the American people b- beloved. Joe Biden has 50 senators, two of whom can't stand his programs, uh, and he's counting on the vice president to be the tiebreaker. I mean, when you have that kind of razor-thin margin, I think you have to be a little more modest in what it is you are proposing. And to suggest that the problem is the filibuster, uh, you know, is, is preposterous. The problem is you're trying to remake American society, and you have only half of America with you. Uh, there are so many things that he could do that, that, to unite us. He's, he's got a lot of people and a lot of noise on the other side. I understand he's in a tough spot, uh, but I, 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 you know, he has embraced the far left wing of his party in a way that just guarantees disappointment and failure and division. And I, I, I think. Leave the filibuster alone. Leave the Supreme Court alone. Even leave the economy. The economy is doing fine. Inflation will take care of yeah. itself. Just it's unload, a,
3: unload a barge, please. Just a, just one barge. Maybe my stuff's on it. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Geraldo, thanks so much. I appreciate all right, it. But, it. All right. Have a great weekend. Good. Keep
14: that tuxedo. All
3: right. And by the way, we got a promo Fox Nation. What's the name of your series? How do we get it? Ah.
14: Uh, uh, all-access COPS on Fox Nation. It's a, the accompanying program with COPS, which is a runaway smash success on uh, on Fox Nation. Stream it. It's great. Okay. And we they've just renewed us uh, for the next season.
3: So. Oh, always winning. Uh, Harald never stops. Uh, thanks, Harald. <laughs> have a great weekend. Have you a too. good time at Sean's tonight. And don't <laughs> worry. I'll have my phone on in case you're down a man. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> Back in a moment.
2: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
11: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the High Court. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If
2: you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: When I first was elected, there were only 2 million people who had COVID shots in the United States of America, had the vaccine. Now we got 190 million because I went out and bought everything I could do and buy in sight, and it worked.
3: (laughs) So the, the facts are he's wrong. Again, the guy exaggerates, makes up stories of people that have dead years ago. Uh protesting outside Nelson Mandela's Robbins Island where he got arrested, protesting, uh, looking for his release. Never happened. Pinned a, said he pinned a medal on a soldier in some ridiculous war story. Never took place. Um, I don't even know if they, if I could believe in corn pop anymore. But if that actually happened. Meanwhile, on the facts on what he just said, here's the facts. The vaccine rollout, uh, that's not how the vaccine rollout went. First, it's not true that 2 million people had shots when he was elected in November. Uh, The COVID-19 vaccines were still awaiting emergency authorization. The fact is nearly 16 million doses had been administered by January 20th, and Biden took office. There were 16 million who were vaccinated, and Biden didn't buy up all the doses. The Trump administration had purchased... 300 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer and Moderna in December before he was even inaugurated. The Trump administration's vaccine plan fell short of its goals and suffered from disarray out of the gate. On an inauguration day, less than half of the 36 million doses distributed in the states by the federal government had been administered. Even so, the plan set the stage for an acceleration of vaccinations that did not happen solely because Biden went out and bought everything up. But don't let us slow you down. And I don't expect... That's one thing you wouldn't expect Anderson Cooper to know, in particular. But the mandates of the issue, you said you weren't going to mandate it. Now you are. Thousands are leaving the medical profession, the law enforcement, the military, uh, hospice care, firefighters, and he seems to be okay with that. Perfectly okay. Mock the thought that people want to label this freedom. When we come back, Joe Lieberman, would he have done that?
11: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This
2: is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Are you saying that
13: if... Christmas gifts don't get delivered this year because the supply chain is backed up because of bottlenecks that people are going to blame Donald Trump, or are they going to blame Joe Biden?
4: that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that we're in a different place than we were a year ago and the reason why is because the president took action the reason why is democrats came together and they passed the american rescue plan put put checks into pockets made sure that uh that we were dealing with the issues that uh, pushed women out of the workforce which is the child tax credit child care all of those things that really benefited everyday people who were being left behind
3: So that is the substitute for Chen Saki, Karine uh, Jean-Pierre, saying that basically he, she inherited – they said that the administration is saying they inherited this problem with supply chain and that they're doing their best to fix it. The one thing they're doing that they claim – and they can – say that we have one port working 24 hours. That's his plan to fix it, not to fill in the, uh, the 60,000 openings for truck drivers, not to get more crane operators, not to mobilize the National Guard who have more truck drivers in one area than anybody else. And with already on the payroll, it would make total sense. They are considering it. They're not doing it. And that, to me, blaming the uh, previous administration is something Barack Obama did better than any president ever but a year 9 months later on things that happened while he was at the job that's a little bit more of a hard sell it's not the iraq war that's lingering on understood everyone knows how you blame president trump for the way he got out of afghanistan what i found really disturbing is once again they tried to pack the court that didn't even work now they tried to change uh, nationalized elections. That didn't work. So that leads Joe Biden to say, suddenly be open to getting rid of the filibuster. Of course, he's not going to do that without Manchin and Cinema, at least two that say they're not for that. But now he's for it. And that prompted Jim Banks, a veteran, to talk about that last night with Laura Cut21.
6: Remember that the first priority of Democrats in both the House and the Senate is to pass a bill to change election laws, to to nationalize elections to move all states to force all states to go toward all mail-in ballots to give democrats an advantage over republicans on election day that's their top priority they made that very clear they've been transparent about that for years that that's the top priority to to change to nationalize elections to give democrats favor over republicans on election day and the way to do that is to to end the filibuster
3: But do they understand, after Harry Reid ended the filibuster for judges and saw what happened with Donald Trump and the the two Supreme Court justices that he sat, three, excuse me, that when you blow up the filibuster for one thing, you eventually lose power? And my goodness, if there was ever a time where Democrats are vulnerable, have you looked at the polls? So if you go ahead and say, I want to do voting rights, okay, I want to jam, uh, I want to jam, uh, I want to fatten the Supreme Court, all right? Just bide your time. The world is not going to end in two years, but soon you will lose power. And there'll be a simple majority. And it'll change the nature of the entire country, as opposed to any re- outreach across the aisle. You think we're just separated now? Can you imagine when you don't need the other party at all? At all. And the Democrats are the one who can't get it together. And that's what they were talking about, too. Overall, the town hall, to me, was haltingly scary. I mean, I watched Joe Biden walk that stage and Anderson Cooper's talking and he's just pacing, looking at the ground, not answering, then answering, always in a halting way. Mark Meadows, chief of staff, worked for a 74-year-old named Donald Trump. Cut 23.
6: Listen, it was the most difficult hour and a half of TV that I've watched ever. I mean, uh, listen, you know, President Trump. CAME OUT WITH A NEW SOCIAL MEDIA uh, COMPANY YESTERDAY, ANNOUNCED THAT uh, ON FOX. LISTEN, CNN HAD A NEW ANNOUNCEMENT TONIGHT.
14: JOE BIDEN HAS A NEW SOCIAL NETWORK. IT'S CALLED RAMBLE.COM. I MEAN, IT WAS was JUST PATHETIC. AND WHAT DID WE HAVE? WE HAD ANDERSON COOPER NOT ACTING AS A REPORTER OR A MODERATOR. HE WAS THE LIFEGUARD THROWING a, A LIFE RING EACH AND EVERY TIME THAT JOE BIDEN STARTED TO RAMBLE OFF. I MEAN, IT WAS PATHETIC.
3: Pathetic. <laughs> senator Joe Lieberman uh, worked for Joe, with Joe Biden for years. Now he's president. Joe Lieberman ran with Al Gore as vice president. But keep in mind, he was the Democratic senator from Connecticut, got primary by Ned Lamont, lost, and then ran as independent and won. That enabled him to effectively write a book that's now out. It's called The Centrist Solution, How We Made Government Work and Can Make It Work Again. Senator, welcome back.
7: Hey, hey, Brian, thanks. Great to be back. Thanks for mentioning the book, which I, I believe in.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk about that. First off, did you see any of the town hall last night?
7: Uh, I saw some of it. Yeah, I didn't see all of it. I'm <laughs> probably like most Americans. Right. I,
3: yeah, it was he does. The president is, is having a presidency where he doesn't do many interviews. What are your thoughts? Is that the same Joe Biden you used to work with?
7: uh well, I certainly recognize him, and uh it is the same joe biden i mean he's he's a a little older as i am, but uh you know i I think he's got his marbles and he he had a sort of an impressive recall of data for the time um I was on but you know to me, the important thing of course was what's he doing and and is he making an effort to bring people And both parties, all ideologies to the center uh, to get something done. And uh, it's not easy to do that in this climate because we're very divided. But uh, right now, unfortunately, it's all happening uh, on this big $3.5 trillion bill among Democrats. Whereas the bipartisan bill, which uh, infrastructure, much more affordable, but still bigger than any bill I ever Voted for as the senator, 1.2 trillion dollars uh, passed the Senate with 69 votes, uh, both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. And then, unfortunately, the progressive caucus in the House has been holding it hostage. That—that—that's what I'd like to see Joe Biden get done. That—that that first bill uh, as soon as possible. It would be good for the country, uh, a Rose and bridges, economy. But it would also prove to the people that uh, folks in Washington can still work together for the good of the country. That's what we need.
3: So the Democrats would not sign off on it because it's not liberal enough. There's not enough spending there. So they want their separate bill and they'll only pass it together. And that's where in the standoff we're, we're in. Just quick thing. When you were in the Senate— and yes. you were a Democrat. How did it change after you got primaried and lost and went back? You became an independent who caucused with the Democrats. How did right. that change you as a lawmaker?
7: Well, uh, it, it, listen, I always um, was independent-minded. And, uh, I, yeah, I was a Democrat. But if I didn't agree with what the party leaders were telling me I should do, well, why should I follow them? I, w- I was elected by all the people people uh, in Connecticut to do what I thought was right and best for the state. In the country, but I must say that having been uh, uh, rejected in the Democratic primary in 2006, and then elected as an independent with, with strong support from Republicans and Independents, particularly and, and probably about a third of the Democratic vote, I felt more independent than ever, and uh, I had some really productive years in my last term, uh, my, my last six years. So you know, in in a way that defeat in the primary was a blessing. I didn't experience it that way. It was awful painful because it was personal. People I had known and were friends and I had helped in my career suddenly turned against me for one issue, which was that I wouldn't, to use a term that sounds familiar today, defund the American military in the middle of the war in Iraq. Uh, And uh, once I I was the deciding vote on that in favor of, continuing the funding until we could stabilize the country. So I, you know, I don't have any regrets. I I was blessed throughout, and and little did I know that the primary defeat uh, was its own form of a blessing. I was more independent than ever. Frankly, I just finished this. When John McCain asked me in 2007, if my dear friend, and we worked together on a lot of stuff, we disagreed on a lot of stuff, if I would support him uh, for president, Uh, Having been reelected as an independent gave me the liberty (laughs) to do that, which I really wanted to do. So there were were a lot of pluses to it.
3: So you wish, uh, I know he wishes he asked you to run instead of Sarah Palin. And you think about that a lot?
7: No, I I actually never thought it was feasible. But boy, John really clung to it. You probably heard me tell the story when, when they first called me and said he wanted to vet me. I saw him, I used to go out pretty regularly on the campaign trail with him. And I said, hey, John, you know, Rick Davis called me. He said, you want to vet me, me for vice president? I'm really honored. But how can you do it? Why not? He says. So I said, you know, you're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Well, he, and he said, well, that's the point. He said the country uh, really needs and, and he said he thought wants uh, more bipartisanship in government. And what, what would be the best way to do it? would be a bipartisan national pick. It was kind of amazing. It was part of his vision and strength. And, of course, in the end, he couldn't do it. But he was mindful of history, you know. And the last time that that had happened was Abraham Lincoln, the the really first great Republican uh, who chose the Democrat, Andrew Johnson, as his running mate. And he did it to try to unify the country uh, as the Civil War uh, looked like it was about to begin.
3: By the way, uh, it was a disaster. Uh, you wouldn't have been a disaster, but Andrew Johnson was a racist who wanted to return the South to slavery. So I know. that's, that's probably not the best example. I, I, I'm right. uh,
7: so, but I'm going to bring you to a to
3: better example. So what Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are doing right now, a lot of people are saying they don't belong in the Democratic Party. And a lot of say, a lot of people are saying, "Watch, he's he might leave and be a Republican." Senator Manchin, there's rumors that, and pretty strong rumors in Mother Jones and other places that he is thinking about leaving the party. Here's what he said:
8: so Anything that was ever said that we've ever talked about, if I'm an embarrassment to my uh, my Democrat colleagues, my caucus, uh, the president being the Democrat, the leader of the Democrat Party, Chuck Schumer, and all them, and I said, me being a a moderate centrist Democrat, if that causes you a problem, let me know. And I'd
3: switch to be an independent, but I'd still be caucusing with Democrats. So he's letting them know That's a bit of a brushback pitch, right?
7: Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, a part of it is just plain personal. And I get it because because I was there. He's basically saying to them, uh, cut it out. I mean, they're treating uh, some of the Democrats on the left are treating Joe Manchin and Senator Cinema. Uh, as if they were traitors. I mean, they're just doing what they believe. I know Joe a lot better than Kirsten cinema, but uh, Joe's been this kind of public uh, official uh, for his whole life, Secretary of State, Governor of West Virginia, now Senators. So, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's not your enemy, left Democrats. He, he's in the Democratic Party, and if you continue to treat him with such uh, disrespect, uh, you're going to encourage him to leave. I don't think he wants to leave. I, I heard him say also, uh, Brian, that uh, it, it, he might become an independent. And I was interested. He said he would caucus with the Democrats still. I'll never forget after the McCain election when there were some Democrats who actually moved in our caucus to uh, strip me of my seniority and basically kick me out of the party. And uh, But Mitch McConnell called me and said he would offer me Uh, something really good if I became a Republican. But um, in the end, Harry Reid uh, opposed what they were trying to do. And, of course, I remember the vote. It was 43 to keep my seniority, 12 against. I never quite figured out who the 12 were, but a couple of them had the guts to say so publicly. One was Bernie Sanders, of course. So uh, there you go. That's a compliment.
3: Uh, Senator, do you think it's possible in your book, uh, The Centrist Solution, I think you could govern, but can you get elected as a centrist? Can you get elected by looking across and goes, you know, these Democrats have some good ideas, or these Republicans, uh, I like 50% of what Donald Trump did or 50% of what Barack Obama did. Do you think you could run a campaign like that and not get kicked out of your own party, let alone to even to get to the general?
7: Right. Really, good question. So the, the rub is, the challenge is to get nominated if you take positions... Uh, bipartisan positions that that uh, disappoint or or infuriate people in your party, uh, uh, and they they challenge you in a primary. But I think if you if you get something done by coming to the center, and that doesn't mean to stop being a conservative or a liberal or moderate. It means just being willing to compromise. I mean, uh, then I think you you're probably even going to be more successful. In the general election, because I still think that's what most of the people, conservative or liberal, really want people in Washington to do: get something done for us. I I mean, they say, they say it on all the polls. Stop fighting with each other. Be reasonable. Even ones who are who are clearly conservative or liberal ideologically, still want uh, people they elect to compromise and and get something done in Washington. So no, I, I mean it takes it, to to do it. Um, uh, for individual members in, let's say, House districts that are either clearly Republican or Democrat, well, that takes some guts. But, you know, in the end, that's the test. Did you just get elected to Congress to play it safe and get reelected? Or or do you want to do something for uh, this great country? And unfortunately, too often uh, it's been the former and not the latter lately. Yeah.
3: Uh, are you prepared to lose? And if not, you, you know, uh, if not, uh, they're not going to do it if you know you people don't want to lose on purpose. But you got to also try to do the right thing once in a
7: while. All Absolutely. Right. I mean, uh, I had some tough times because I went my own way. Joe Manchin is having it now, but it really, at the end of the career, you look back, and I'd rather say, "Hey, you know, I tried to do something I thought was right, and maybe it hurt me politically, but uh, and I tried to do some other things I thought was right and work with people in the other party." And got it done, and that makes me feel a lot better than just saying, "Oh, I got reelected five times." So, so pick up, uh, pick
3: up Senator Lieberman's book, "The Centrist Solution." We're looking at two polarized solutions; they're not working. The centrist solution might just do it. Uh, Joe Lieberman, thank you.
7: Thank you, Brian. You're you're a great guy. Have a good weekend. You too, thank sir. You. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions.
11: It's Brian Kilmead. Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
15: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions, hear it all on the
11: Brian Kilmeade Show. The whole story is that Progress takes patience. I love the tension between Frederick Douglass and President Lincoln, and Douglass should have been, rightfully so, angry at the lack of progress, pushing Lincoln to move as quickly as possible. And at the same time, you have to admire and respect Lincoln's patience. His primary objective was to keep the nation together. And for a long time, he thought that's the way you averted a war. And frankly, it took the Civil War in order for us to unite the nation. But progress and patience are linked together uh, unmistakably in politics, but really in life.
3: Senator Tim Scott talking about life in South Carolina and what Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln meant. He's part of the special that airs November 7th from my book that comes out November 2nd called The President and the Freedom Fighter. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass and their battle to save America's soul. I'm going to be in New York on Long Island in Manhasset at Publicans November 3rd on the 4th in Staten Island, Barnes and Noble and Staten Island Mall November 4th. Lawrenceville, Georgia, November 5th at Books a Million. Just need you to go to briankilme.com and sign up. Charleston, West Virginia, on stage. Get tickets. VIP opportunities, November 7th, Charleston Coliseum and Convention Center. Doylestown, Pennsylvania, November 11th, Salem United Church. And then I'm excited about Albany, New York, November 12th. The book house of Stuyvesant Plaza. I have not been there. Capital of New York. Of course, Vero Beach on November 16th. Hollywood, Florida for the Patriot Awards there. The Village is November 20th. Orlando on stage. The Plaza Live. Tickets still available. Uh, meet me there. It's always fun. We talk about the whole war in history there. Ponte Vedra, December 3rd. Clearwater, December 4th. December 5th in McLean, Virginia. Fernando Beach, December 7th. Newtown, Pennsylvania, December 14th
11: from the fox news Podcasts network download and listen to the one with craig gutfeld the co-host of the five like you've never heard him before you know him you love him you want to be like him subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com live from the fox
2: news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks thanks so much for listening everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Thanks so much for streaming if that's what you're doing. BrianKilmeadeShow.com also available on podcasts uh, you know about all that. Spotify iTunes, iHeart and many other places. Uh, Shannon Bream is standing by. Bob Glauber will be here. One of the finest uh, NFL writers there is. He's got a brand new book out. You're going to love to hear that story. Uh, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. Dr.
5: Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan?
6: Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement
3: well the NIH does uh, Fauci did lie maybe uh, not knowingly but I'm sure knowingly Senator Rand Paul take a bow you were right
13: number
0: two do you think there's a I mean do you see a, do you have a timeline for gas prices of when you think they may start coming down
8: my guess is you'll start to see gas prices come down in the next year in 2022 I don't see anything that's going to happen in the meantime that's going to re-
4: significantly reduce gas prices
3: Biden's Town Hall, odd, meandering, but newsworthy, will explain. Number one.
4: I can't imagine any circumstance in which the Patriot Act would be used in the circumstances uh, of parents complaining about their children, nor can I imagine a circumstance where they would be labeled as domestic terrorism.
3: Uh, there you go. Merrick Garland, evasive or clueless. You make the call. That's how I describe the AG as he tried to explain the FBI targeting parents at schools and more. Why this issue has gotten so important in America today? Well, if you look at the polling, if you see Virginia closing, the second most important issue is schools. What did Terry McAuliffe said? I don't think parents should have a role in their kids' education. should be left to teachers. And then he started talking about how great teachers are. Well, that's fine because you're actually uh, – teachers are great for the most part. But you're also in the pocket of the teachers' unions. So what else are you going to say? You want parents out of this. And I'm telling you right now, as uh, – Kimberly Strassel wrote in the Wall Street Journal today even if Youngkin does not win what the Republicans should learn from Virginia even though they're tied at 46 and I think he very could, could well win is that education matters uh, to the American people and you forget about party. Shannon Bream joins us now she always matters. She's getting set to host her show at midnight at 12 o'clock. Hey Shannon.
15: Hey just 13 short hours from now Brian.
3: Right uh, so you better scramble uh, pick get <laughs> yeah. out an outfit uh, first off when, when you have a situation where the attorney general can't answer basic questions and it becomes exposed through a Freedom of Information Act that one memo from the Board of Education Union uh, to the White House spurred an FBI investigation, does that raise your eyebrows?
15: Well, I think what was also interesting is that the Federalist and I think National Review and some other places um, yesterday reported on what happened before that memo. They say that there, these emails that were garnered through a Freedom of Information Act that showed there was communication with you know people within the Biden administration before the school board ever put together that memo, some conversations back and forth about, well, they need us to come up with more examples or they want to know specific threats, those kinds of things. So it sounds like there was a conversation about putting the memo together before the memo went to the White House and then days later the DOJ. Jay put out its memo so you know when that kind of stuff comes forward it makes you wonder how much coordination there is that's not transparent
3: right so when Merrick Garland uh, acts clueless I'm wondering is he really cut one
4: the Justice Department uh, supports and defends the First Amendment right of parents to complain as vociferously as they wish about the education of their uh, children, about the curriculum taught in the schools. That is not what the memorandum is about at all, nor does it use the words domestic terrorism or Patriot Act. Like you, I can't imagine any circumstance in which the Patriot Act would be used in the circumstances uh, of parents complaining about their children, nor can I imagine a circumstance where they would be labeled as domestic terrorism.
3: So the Department of Justice gets involved. They simply want to examine and curtail possible violence uh, at these Board of Education meetings. There's sheriffs. There's cops. What led the FBI to investigate these town halls? The White House was in discussion with the National School Board Association in the weeks leading up to this NSBA sending a letter demanding the federal law enforcement crack down on harassment, what they say is harassment of school officials. But— Merrick Garland could not sound any any incident in particular, and right. how one memo and the communication through the FO uh, through the, uh, Freedom of Information Act, how one memo that said that it, it revealed the communication between the White House and the board ended up a movement by the FBI. That's mm-hmm. the mystery. Something smells like politics.
15: Well, and the thing is, is that in, the, in those pre-conversations, according to those FOIA emails, there was obviously some concern that there wasn't enough supporting information, like, we need direct threats, we need exactly what you're talking about, so we can take action or move forward on this. And then when you see the letter itself, that letter from the school board is the one that was making the accusations, but doesn't outline specific, detailed, numerous cases of threats. So when Jim Jordan, among others, was pushing the attorney general yesterday, like, well, please tell me the data. We'd like to know. Of course, we don't think it's right to ever threaten somebody. Um it's a matter for local law enforcement to handle, but please let us know about the cases. And Garland keeps citing back to that letter from the School Boards Association, which apparently didn't have a whole lot of meat to it. So, you know, Jordan was like, how could that be the, uh, the entire basis for what you've now ordered that the DOJ and FBI are going to do with these parents if there really wasn't enough information in there in the beginning, at least, for anybody right. to think that this was worthy? So, yeah, you wonder if it's a, it's a um, you know, solution in search of a problem.
3: Here is what Ian Pryor said, as you know, he was a DOJ official who was involved in this whole incident in, in Loudoun because he's a parent and was targeted on a Facebook page, and now he's turned into a national movement, cut six.
13: I clearly saw somebody that is not in control of his own Justice Department. Uh, you know, what I think happened here, there are reports, obviously, that the White House was aware of this letter, was working with the National School Board Association weeks before they put out its letter. You know, I suspect that some of Garland's deputies and staffers were also working with the White House and the NSBA to send this letter. And I would not be surprised if this attorney general memo was already pre-written and ready to go and be signed by Garland by the time that the NSBA sent that letter. I mean, they sent it on, you know, September 29th. And the AG memo came out on October 4th. I worked in the Department of Justice. It takes a lot longer to coordinate with various components and divisions in the DOJ, never mind other departments, other agencies, and the White House and U.S. attorneys on these kind of attorney general memos. So there's no way they did that in two business days.
3: So you you, you know the, the legal mind. You don't understand Washington. Is I think he's 100 percent right.
15: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, the timeline just doesn't make sense otherwise. And, you know, you mentioned, Ian, and there are others out there. You know, there's a lot of this happening in the area where I live outside of Virginia or outside of D.C. and Northern Virginia, Loudoun County and other um, school boards, where we find that there were actually groups on Facebook that were aimed at kind of taking a list of parents that were viewed as troublesome or needed to be um, kind of quieted or silenced. And so when you see that kind of stuff happening in a coordinated way, and then this thing pops out seemingly out of thin air, yeah. and I had at least one source that told me when this thing was coming together, they said the FBI wanted nothing to do with it. I think there were, there, there were people there who saw the problems with enforcing it and how it would be viewed, and they thought it was unnecessary. And they tried to to push back, and the DOJ said, you're doing it. So, you know, it's clearly raised red flags for people along the way.
3: Absolutely. So let's pivot, if we can, to this whole vaccinated, unvaccinated, you're fired unless you're vaccinated policy. Uh, As I brought up, the president misstated the Fox policy that Mm -hmm. we have a testing option if you're not vaccinated. Do you have that in Washington?
15: Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, there's no one that says you got to be vaccinated to come in the building and keep your job here. You can be part of a testing um, system that, you know, is not at your expense. It's it's part of company policy. So uh, it's not accurate to say that you got to be vaccinated to keep your job.
3: So here's uh, the question that Anderson Cooper gave. He, he did an interesting approach. Anderson Cooper sometimes would give the question and the answer, which I would enjoy that for my teachers come test day. Uh, It's very fascinating that you have to do that for a president. Uh, Here's Joe Biden on the vax mandates. We got it all wrong. Cut 28.
0: Should police officers, emergency responders, be mandated to get vaccines? And if not, should they be stay at home or let go? Yes and yes.
8: Uh, By the way, I waited until July. July to talk about mandating because I tried everything else possible. The mandates are working. All the stuff about people leaving and people, goodness, you have you have everyone from United Airlines to spirit all these airlines. Are, we're not going to get all 96, 97% of the people have gotten the vaccine. All the talk about all these folks who are going to leave the military if they're, they're mandated,
3: not true. How much, I, we're, who's talking to him? People are going to be leaving the military when the deadline hits. It is true. And and Delta does not have the mandated policy. Uh, okay. Southwest has backed off the mandated policy. Delta has a testing option. I'm not sure about United, but they're losing five 5% of their workforce. Is that
15: okay? Well, and the thing is, is that, yeah, he's going to keep saying mandates work because, of course, the people who truly uh, have a reason that they're not going to comply are going to lose their jobs over it. So, yeah, you can say 99 point whatever percent of your workforce is complying when all the people who are choosing not to um, are gone or they leave. I mean, of course, that's going to change the numbers. And for a lot of people, they just can't – to them, it doesn't feel like a choice. If they've got to pay the rent and feed their kids – and make car payments or do whatever they have to do, um, and they, they can't afford to do that by walking away from their job, they feel coerced. They don't feel like that is a choice. So that's one thing. And also, our first responders, I think we all know last year, way before there was a vaccine, we're working on the front lines, we're showing up yeah. to emergencies, doing everything else. I- I'm guessing a big chunk of them have natural immunity, and that's something this administration has to start taking notice of. Um, I see very few people ask Dr. Fauci about it, but when they do, he struggles to say that it's not a valid uh, option to recognize that somebody's body may have built a multi-layered defense already to the virus. And you should at least consider that in making decisions about vaccine mandates.
3: Last thing, and you if you feel like you're done with me and you want to go home, you can. Could you want to do one more topic? Do you want to think about it? The good about thing about
15: is it? I'm already at home, so I can take a little bit more kill me.
3: You can? All right. Not many yeah, people sure. say yes to that. When I give them the option, they usually leave.
15: <laughs> I'm sticking around.
3: Good. The NIH Evidently, does say we did do a little bit of funding of uh, of uh, chain of function research in the Wuhan lab. Here's Congressman James Comer, cut thirty-four.
10: I mean, this proves all along that uh, this la- this virus was started in the Wuhan lab, and this proves all along that American tax dollars were used to fund gain of function research in the Wuhan lab. The national, uh, the NIH knew this all along. Dr. Fauci misled the committee at best and lied to the committee at worst by saying that tax dollars were never used for gain-of-function knowledge, for gain-of-function research.
3: And that was a letter that was requested and it was finally answered. The NIH admitted they had limited experiments was conducted in order to test if spike proteins from naturally occurring bat coronaviruses circulating in China were capable of binding with the human receptors in a mouse model. What does it mean? We got COVID nineteen. Please don't tell me it's a platypus and a, a platypus and a hippopotamus uh, were exposed to each other in a cave anymore. I'm not buying it. Now, how do you explain that? And this exchange can they live together? Cut thirty three.
5: Doctor Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May eleventh, where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain of function research in Wuhan?
6: Senator Paul, I have never lied. Before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was? What let me take, finish. You
5: take an animal virus and you increase its yeah, transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of
7: function. Yeah,
6: that is correct. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially, you do not know what you are talking about.
3: Hmm. Shannon, you, you, are the, you are the judge. You have an <laughs> afternoon judge show. Uh, who's, who's telling the truth here? The NIH I... came out and said they're doing it.
15: Yeah. By the way, afternoon judge show, I would be merciless. No one's ever going to be not guilty or unpunished, so it's not going to happen. Okay,
3: good. So um, you're off.
15: But uh, with this, I think they're very careful with way the way they parse the words. So now the debate is, did Dr. Fauci say, we didn't do gain-of-function research that led to the coronavirus that led us to COVID-19, or we never did any gain-of-function? And as the NIH letter saying, we did all this technical mumbo-jumbo, they never used the words gain-of-function in their letter. So everybody is very very carefully parsing. We're playing with semantics here. Um, but I think Fauci will say, what I've said all along is there's no gain of function that led to COVID-19. But the oh, letter really? clearly says there's stuff that equated to COVID or to gain of, of function. Course. But it then tries to say the evolutionary um, you know, makeup of what we've seen COVID-19 means. That definitely didn't come from this. Yeah. But listen, I'm not a scientist, and and China is never going to give us all the information that we need. But every time there's another trickle of information, it proves things that people said a year ago that got them canceled and kicked off social media. So I think time is on our side, hopefully, with getting to the truth. But it's not going to be easy, and they're never going to admit that they lied about anything. Uh, they want us to feel like we misunderstood.
3: Right. Not true. Jamie Metzl, a, a guy who works, I, I encourage you – to talk to him tonight, I think it's a much different story. Shannon, uh, it was great doing the five with you last week.
15: So much fun! Was right. it the highlight of your week?
3: It, so far, yeah, it was. And I was watching last my daughters week. play soccer on my iPad. I know that and you was funny too. Uh, that was. By <laughs> the way, week. did they win? Uh, one, one, last one. Fun. Lost. They were playing at the okay, same time. Well, yeah,
15: I hear the ties are a good thing in soccer. I don't know.
3: Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, right. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Going to watch you at 12, one 408 7669 I see you on the board. Join us.
2: Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The f-
11: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominic Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. Fast as three
2: hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
11: The BBC has released
0: its list of 100 greatest TV series of the 21st century. Somehow we just missed the cutoff. <laughs> Must have been those episodes with Kill Me dragging us down. Talk, talk about dead weight. I
3: mean, why do I do that show? I mean, why? I mean. I, why I, do they book you? Because you're the reason they didn't make the list. Right. Allison, how many times did they ask me to do the show?
15: They, they like you on the show.
3: Right. They asked me to do the show, right?
15: And you you generally say yes whenever you can. Right. It's this like weird almost abusive relationship with them, right? You both you both like it.
3: Right. But he has like he has a writer. So he's like he must be pushing his writers to somehow include me almost every night.
15: It could be. And so we have another little one that's a little more visual, but we can play it because um in regards to the Netflix protests. Will I like it? Yeah, they apparently there was something here at Fox yesterday.
0: Yeah, this reminds all of us and me how awesome free speech really is. Check out this protest outside our offices earlier today. Hey, hey, ho, ho! Brian
11: Kilmeade's got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho! Brian Kilmeade's got, go. hey, hey, Kilmeade got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho!
0: Those are my people.
15: <laughs> the best part of that, though, they had little—they were Lego men. You Lego men. Lego men saying that you had to go, and they made a little sign saying "Kilmeade sucks." <laughs>
3: And are is there going to be pushback? I mean, aren't you watching my back? Is Eric watching my back? Anybody? I mean, we're all well. We're
15: watching Gutfeld to then pull it <laughs> back for you, <laughs>
3: <laughs> because someone has to. All right. Um, I really. I'm going. I might take legal action. I don't think I have a choice.
15: Are you going to do, like, as a real person or with Lego figurines?
3: Right. It will be. I will to hire actors to sue him. Okay. I'm going to serve him, uh, and I'm going to, up until we go to court, let him think it's real. I think I have to protect my reputation. When we come back on a different note, Bob Glauber. I'm breaking the color barrier in football.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: If you look at someone like a Kenny Washington, his story is not just in Los Angeles newspapers. It's picked up in Cleveland. It's picked up in New York. And I think that Kenny Washington especially brings credibility, to the Los Angeles Rams, he in many ways is an example of how African Americans, through their efforts, not only improved a lot of African Americans, but improved a lot of those that care about professional
3: football. And that is Lonnie uh, Bunch uh, on Kenny Washington. Uh, he is a director of the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. As Kenny Washington, booked the color barrier in what we now know as the National Football League. They were integrated in college, but not in the pros. People are focused on Jackie Robinson. Well, that is not the focus with Bob Glauber. He's focused on football every day of the week, but now historical football. He's got a brand new book out written with uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Uh, and it's called The Forgotten First. Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Maria Motley, Bill Willis, and the breaking of the NFL color barrier. Bob, congratulations.
10: Thanks very much, Brian. I appreciate you having me. 75- it. it's, a, it's a very cool subject.
3: Oh, it's a great subject, a necessary yeah. one. 75 years since the line was broken. What did you know about this before you took on the project?
10: Brian, I embarrassingly knew very little about it, and as I kind of came to realize, and and with Keyshawn as well, no one really knows much about the history of integration in the NFL. You know, everyone knows Jackie Robinson, but very few people know that football, the color line was crossed the year before Jackie Robinson joined baseball, and you know, you're, you're right. I cover football every day. I've covered it for over 30 years, and I just didn't know this story, but it's, it's just not a widely told story, but it's an important one. And, you know, especially in a league that is now 70% African-American, you know, it started somewhere. And there were zero black players before Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and Bill Willis and Marion Motley in Cleveland uh, crossed the color line. And, you know, for good. And, then, you know, the NFL has, has you know, now predominantly African-American.
3: So Kenny Washington was the first and a teammate of Jackie Robinson in college.
10: Yes. Yes, he, they played football together. They were on this leg as well as Woody Strode, who became a fine Hollywood actor uh, later in his life. But they played on his 1939 UCLA football team. It was the It was an unbeaten team that challenged USC for the national championship. An incredible year. And Kenny Washington was probably the best player in the entire country that year. And he and Jackie Robinson played in the same backfield together. And... Brian, on the, on, on the day that Kenny Washington's college career ended in 1939, they had a 0-0 tie against USC in front of 103,000 people at the LA Memorial Coliseum. That same day, the NFL hold, held a 22-round draft. And he would have been the first player drafted based on the way the game was played had he been allowed in that draft, but he wasn't. No black players in that draft and no black players in the NFL till Kenny Washington Crossed that line in 1946, and, and by that time, he'd had many surgeries on his knees, so he wasn't the same player. But he was an important player. They loved him in Los Angeles. He demanded that Woody Strode be on the same team as him in 1930 and 1946. They, you know, they had uh, you know, modest NFL careers, and Strode only a year. Uh, but their contribution was really unmistakable. And then in Cleveland. Um, it was like Bill Willis and Mary Motley joined Paul Brown and Paul Brown is the really the, uh, the branch Ricky of this story because he knew what he was doing. He willingly signed two black players and no one else in the league did in Los Angeles. It was sort of forced upon the Rams and they agreed to it. But in Cleveland, um, Paul Brown welcomed these players because he knew they were good foot. He just wanted good football players. He understood the importance of it, but he just wanted to build a great team, and he did.
3: So this guy, Joe Horrigan, he's the Pro Football Hall of Fame executive director, uh, talked about Branch Rickey and the role this had with Paul Brown. Cut 42.
12: There's a very popular story of Jackie
8: Robinson coming into the majors. Well, that story that's not told there is Branch Rickey, was also in 1946 a part owner of the football Brooklyn Dodgers and played against the Cleveland Browns of the All-American Football Conference and Branch Rickey once told Miriam Motley he said had I not had the experience of seeing you and Bill Willis play in a contact sport without incident I might not have had the courage to bring Jackie
3: Robinson up into the majors so that's pretty cool right
10: that is a huge story, Brian, and very few people know that story. In fact, Marion Motley carried a letter from Branch Rickey uh, for his entire life, and Rickey told him the same thing. He told him the impact that watching him and Willis in that all America football conference had on Branch Rickey and, and why it kind of gave him the courage to decide what he did with Jackie Robinson a year later. So, so football you know, these,
3: these, beat baseball yeah. to breaking the barrier.
10: Football beat baseball to breaking the barrier. You would never know it. Uh, and I think the NFL likes this fact, but you know, next year is going to be 75 years since Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball. There's going to be a huge deal. There's a huge deal made every year for Jackie Robinson. They have a Jackie Robinson day every single year. You can imagine what the 75th anniversary is going to be like. There's been, there's been very little. Um, this year, you know, the Rams have embraced it. They, they, they bought copies of this book, um, believe it or not, for all their players. They saw it. They, they kind of, they thought it was important. They wanted all their players, all their coaches and executives to have the book. They understand the history. They understand what Woody Strode and, and Kenny Washington did for not only the Rams, but for the history of, of pro football. So, and it was a very important time.
3: So you also, there's some villains. Uh, you know, Calvin Griffith, uh, he's mm-hmm. clearly a racist. I moved to Minnesota because there's a lot of white—there's very few blacks here. You know, he liked to be around white people. George Preston Marshall, the uh, owner of the Redskins, he was an outright segregationist. He was the last to, to allow black players to play for his team, right?
10: That's correct, Brian. And he only did it—and he did it in 1961 under intense pressure from the JFK administration. So Kenny Washington and Woody Strode come in at 46— and then integration certainly begins in earnest not you know not all at once but black players are eventually signed uh, but george preston marshall held out until 1961 he he refused to, to sign black players he felt that it wasn't good for his market and his and his fan base and the jfk administration pressured him sufficiently with the the uh basically said look we there's a, a federally funded stadium that you want to play in it's now rfk stadium Um, you're not going to be able to play in it unless you integrate your team. And a a, a deal was brokered by Pete Rosell and then George Preston Marshall, who made no secret of his disdain for for black athletes on on his team. He just didn't want them. And he finally relented. Um, And then the Bobby Mitchell trade with Cleveland, and Bobby Mitchell became the first African-American player uh, on on Washington in, in 1962.
3: And I believe he was honored at the game I was at. I was at the Redskins yes. Giant game uh, this year. Ed, first time you know, I was in Washington. I bu-
10: yeah, Brian, his number was retired yeah. then, and that's why this story kind of resonates throughout history. And and we talk about current events. You know, we talk about when George Preston Marshall's monument was removed last year um, in the in the wake of the George Floyd killing. And so, so this this you know threads of this story run from that time. Well, you know, there was a twelve year ban on black players in the NFL from thirty three to forty five. And then from that time to now there are, are, are reminders of it. And even Kenny Washington and, right. and Marion Motley in particular. You know, Washington was a quarterback. Washington Kenny Washington was the first black quarterback to throw a ball in the NFL and he is not given credit for it. Um, hopefully history will kind of realize that and, and that'll be changed. But he did. He threw a pass. He threw several passes for the Rams during his career, uh, but history doesn't reflect that. And then you see the struggles that black quarterbacks have had over time. And now it's, you know, many of the dominant quarterbacks Mm. in today's NFL are African-American. Marion Motley wanted to be a coach in the NFL, never got an opportunity, never. And that theme runs through today's NFL. So, so the, you know, this is just, you know, the arc of history doesn't just end with 46 and, you know, the, the color line is crossed. You know, things continue to evolve.
3: Uh, Bob Glaber, our guest, two time uh, winner of the New York State Sports Writer of the Year Award, National Sports Media Association, and selective of the 2021 Bill Nunn Junior Career Achievement Award. But he's not quite done with his career yet, not by a long shot. His new book is now out The Forgotten First Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Mary Motley, uh, Bill Willis, and the Breaking of the NFL Color Barrier. Now, about the men, were they bitter? <laughs> Were they bitter that they had to work so hard that they had to break this barrier that they didn't get the opportunities in Marion Motley's case? I knew about him because I hosted a radio show with Jim Brown and he raved about Marion Motley.
10: Jim Brown thought Marion Motley was a better player than he was. And Marion Motley was a great runner, but he was also a great blocker. And that's something Jim Brown didn't, didn't particularly like to do. Um, there was some bitterness, Brian, but, but it was, a, it was contained. Now, uh, Woody Strode was released after one year with the Rams. He believes, and he told his son this, um, that he was released because he was married to a Hawaiian woman. At that time, that was considered an interracial marriage, and the owner, Dan Reeves, did not want him on the team. He was released after a year. Was he bitter? Well, he once was quoted as saying, if I had to integrate heaven, I wouldn't do it. You know. So he, it was really a traumatic yeah. experience. He actually considered suicide. Um, after being released by the Rams, he was that devastated by it. I, I, Kenny Washington yeah, ahead, was Kenny, Kenny was somewhat bitter about it, especially, you know, Jackie Robinson got all the accolades. But, you know, I think he accepted it. He was happy with his life. He was a very fun-loving, free-spirited, and warm guy. People loved being around him. Uh, Motley, a little bit bitter. And Willis, absolutely not bitter. You know, he went to the Hall of Fame along with Motley, he ended up uh, working as a, the commissioner of the Cleveland and the Ohio Recreation Department, and he was he had a tremendous impact on young people. He he lived a very full and very satisfying, very meaningful life. So I would say Willis was not bitter about it.
3: So one thing I so I have the President of Freedom Fighter coming out on November second and Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln and back then you even go back 100 years from when you're talking about or 60 years uh, the the you know the the racial attitudes they were just commonplace you know people on on freedom was one thing but race uh, race equality was was uh, decades away uh, and it's just amazing along the way as much as African-Americans worked hard and deserve all the credit, there was heroic white people that stepped up along the way, whether it's uh, you know, famous abolitionists like John Adams and John Quincy Adams and Alexander Hamilton. And there's other unknowns like William Lloyd Garrison and Garrett Smith. Besides, you mentioned Paul Brown. Are there other coaches that could see the injustice and took heroic actions, general managers, executives, people?
10: I would say not many. Brian um, Paul Brown was the true hero of this story in terms of uh, a, a white person offering opportunity, and it was it was not widely accepted. Um, you know, the Giants, Tim Mara owned the team, and and he was he certainly participated in the ban on black players during that time. But he signed Emlyn Tunnell two years after the color barrier was broken, and that was a big deal for the Giants. And Tunnell turned out to be. One of the all-time great defensive backs in NFL history, first yeah. African American placed in the Hall of Fame. Um, so, so it was a it was a kind of a grudging acceptance. You know, even George Hallis. Now, George Hallis, in 1940, he wanted to sign Kenny Washington. It's a famous story where
3: owner he, of the Bears, yeah,
10: the owner of the Bears, you know, founder of the NFL, wanted to sign him in 1940 um, after the College All Star game that year. The best college players would play the, the the NFL champions from the previous year. Hallis went up to Kenny Washington and said, "Hey, I want you to I want you to stay in Chicago. Just just do me a favor and stick around for a little bit. I, I I'm interested in signing you." Now he went to his fellow owners, and he and he he ran it by him, and he he just couldn't swing it, um, and they didn't approve it. And George Preston Marshall was very much against. Um, any black players playing in the NFL, and certainly wow. in Washington, because he owned the southern market. That was the southernmost team in the NFL at that time. And, and Marshall felt that he, he would be economically harmed right. if black players played in Washington. Think so about that.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. it's unbelievable. Uh, listen, Bob, go ahead and get the book. This is an important book. Everybody listening right now, I do want to bring it to your co-author, Keyshawn Johnson. When John Gruden uh, quit after his emails were exposed in two th- uh, from back in 2011 when he was with ESPN. This is what Keyshawn Johnson uh, said. Cut 46.
12: Not only do you mock the size of an African-American's lips, you also degrade owners in the National Football League as well as the commissioner. My concentration ain't only you talk bad about a black man, you're also talking about bad about people that own teams, run the league, the commissioner of the league. Because he's a bad person. I. Try.
3: So uh, I was, uh, I did not know there was this much bitterness between the two is John Gruden's oh, yeah. reputation in the NFL like that. Or is Keyshawn Johnson prior to this incident that he quit on uh, an anomaly?
10: Um, relationship goes back a long time. And don't forget, uh, John Gruden deactivated Keyshawn Johnson when they were together with the Bucks. They won a Super Bowl together. And then shortly thereafter, Gruden deactivated Keyshawn because they were having problems. So it, it, it's it's personal with Keyshawn. Um, I think he's felt he's been very consistent in not liking John Gruden and, and not being afraid to say it. So I don't know that all players have felt that way about John Gruden over the years you know they haven't even you know the Raiders uh, not all of them felt that way and, and probably most of them didn't feel that way when Gruden was there with the team so then things come out and the, and the emails come out and 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 it blows up and he's got to walk away because I think he felt he, he couldn't he just couldn't deal gotcha. with it you know he, he couldn't face the, the team um but Keyshawn has been very he's very consistent on that one no question
3: uh, I right now, John, and
10: not liking John Gruden.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bob Glaber, no, and, you know,
10: and that was like, it was a little right. bit counterintuitive. He, it was not a popular opinion. You know, Gruden is, was, was, uh, you know, obviously very popular and Keyshawn was clearly in the minority of, of people and players who, who didn't get along with them.
3: Yeah. And he got the, and it looks like his, his opinion won out. Uh, Bob Glaber, congratulations on the book. Work with Keyshawn. It's going to be great. The forgotten first, Bob Glaber. Great job. And I know you got to get to work for this weekend. Thanks.
10: Thanks very
3: much, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. Uh, Back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade,
2: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call 833-600-GOLD to secure your retirement.
3: So this news is, is so stunning. An accident on the set of Alex Baldwin's movie, Rust. Uh, the Bonanza Creek Ranch on the outskirts of Santa Fe, New Mexico, sent two members of his film crew to the hospital, and one of them has died. He had a gun. It was obviously uh, for this for the movie. A prop firearm was being used during the filming when it was discharged, Baldwin hitting the director of photography, uh, Helena Hutchins, and director Joel Souza. Detectives are investigating. They talk to him. He's fully cooperating, uh, and she has passed away. Man, it's just terrible all around. He just tweeted this out. Alec Baldwin. There are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother and deeply admired colleague of ours. I'm fully cooperating with the police investigating to address how this tragedy occurred. And I'm in touch with her husband, offering my support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son and all who knew and loved her. Uh, The other uh, Joel Souza, is out of the hospital. Unbelievable. There's a photo of them all upset on the phone. I don't care what you think of him. He's an unbelievable actor, and this is just a tragedy. Um, there are evidently dummy rounds in a gun. I was talking to a few people that work on movie sets, and they said, you know, if you're not careful, if the gun's faulty, you could get seriously injured, and clearly something like that happened. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Go to briankilme.com. Find out where I'll be with the President of Freedom Fighter, which you can download now and have it ready for November 2nd.
11: Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.